0: Welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Leaders of Analytics is about data-driven decision-making, modern business leadership and the use of data and artificial intelligence in business and society. Each episode investigates the strategies, tools, techniques and leadership required to succeed in a world increasingly driven by data and analytics. The show's guests share their stories and experiences in a way that helps you understand the big concepts and small details that make all the difference in today's world of business. I am your host, Jonas Christensen, And I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaders of Analytics. My guest on this episode is Nicolai van Ommer, who is the CEO and co-founder of Funatech. Funatech is a Canadian company specializing in AI-driven solutions to complex industrial optimization problems. The company's secret sauce is combining the two disciplines of operations research and machine learning. Operations research is about making the best decisions and solving problems in a structured way using maths to optimize outcomes. Machine learning, on the other hand, is really good at spotting patterns and making predictions from lots and lots and lots of data. The cool part happens when these two disciplines are brought together. Machine learning is the detective that finds clues in a sea of information, and operations research is the strategist that takes those clues and decides what moves to make next. By working together, these two disciplines can tackle challenges that neither of them could face on their own. Let's listen and learn about this very interesting topic from the very clever Nikolai. Nikolai van Omer, welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Great to have you on the show.
1: Well, thank you very much for inviting me.
0: My pleasure. And we have a really, really interesting episode ahead of us today because we are going to be talking about the intersection of operations research and AR machine learning. And I must confess to you that that's not an area that I have explored a lot, at least not to my knowledge, although maybe that's what I've been doing all along. So that's what we're going to do be finding out, but you are the expert here and I'm the interviewer. So I'm, I'm really, really interested in hearing that from you. Now, before we get to that, Nicola, let's start learning a bit about
1: you. Could you tell us about yourself, your background and what you do? Yes. So basically I consider myself as a mathematician. I started by learning mathematics, pure mathematics. I hate the term, but this is what you say, pure math. And then I also did some applied math and computer science. So I'm mixing a little bit of everything together. And that's one of the reasons why it came very naturally to mix ML, machine learning and OR operations research and other fields. So I did 17 years of study at university, which is way too much, but I learned a lot. And so what I'm trying to do is to combine all those stuff together and get better results. 17 years at university, that's very impressive. Well, not if you, if you know that. There are some years that I did twice. Don't be impressed. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> well, you must have a few degrees to line up against those 17 years. Yes, I do.
1: Too many, actually.
0: So you are an expert in a few areas, and often magic happens when you combine different disciplines. So I'm really interested in understanding where that magic is happening for you. And today you are the CEO of Funatech. So this is a company that you have co-founded. Could you tell us about the
1: company, what it does and why you founded it? Yes. So Funatech exists since almost six years now. And we did create that company because when I graduated with my PhD, I thought about combining ML and OR, but no one was interested. So I tried to pass the ideas along to others, but it seems that it was not interesting at that moment. And so my spouse and co-founder told me, well, if no one wants to do it, let's do it ourselves. And this is how we started the company with a mission. And the mission is actually to use our technology, the way we do AI for the better good. And the company is... Basically doing two things, one, solving industrial problems, very complex industrial problems, and two, doing a lot of research, especially in that hybridization of ML, machine learning and OR operations research.
0: Okay. So I think at this point in time, it would be really helpful for us to define what is exactly operations research. So could you give us an explanation of what that is in
1: in layman's terms? Basically, operations research is one of the science, mathematical science of optimization. I would even argue that it's the best science of optimization. So every time, I mean, if you think about optimizing something, you should think about OR, operations research. What is very funny is actually that there is a subfield from operations research that you know, ML, machine learning, 10, 15 years ago was considered as a subfield of operations research. So the link between the two, is that you're using operations research algorithms to optimize the predictions in ML. So could you give us an example of how
0: you use operations research in your day-to-day? What is a, sort of an applied example of something you help an industry or a company with?
1: So in operations research, you can model knowledge. And so you're able to take an industrial problem and to model it with the knowledge of the company, of the domain, And you're able to optimize, for instance, the routes of trucks. You have some deliveries that need to be done by trucks. You can model this mathematically with constraints in operations research, and then you can solve that problem and you get optimal routes. You need to know that it's very, very efficient. You can optimize by 20 to 30% compared to solutions that are done by hand. This is one example, but actually you have lots of examples, for instance, airlines in airlines, there is not a single airline that is not using OR because you can do the crew scheduling, for instance, with OR. And there are so many problems that you can optimize. Basically whatever problem industries have, you can find a way to optimize this with OR. Yeah. So when
0: you say it like that, it actually sounds like the perfect use case for machine learning in many cases. So it's interesting that you had a bit of trouble getting traction in the beginning. Could you explain to us how operations research has evolved over the years and also in the time that you've been working in the field? I think you said the company was about six years old today and also kind of how it's evolved to where it fits into today's landscape.
1: The operations research is used extensively in some sectors, but at the same time, you never hear about operations research. I mean, everybody hear about ML, ML, ML. But actually, OR is still big and was bigger before. So it's a little bit shadowed by ML. Let's say that OR started during the Second World War. So it's relatively new. At the same time, it has more than 70 years. And at that time, people try to optimize the logistic needed for the war and also to optimize the way to kill people and to protect and save lives. And this is how it started. And then after the war, it has been used for the logistics intensively and more and more. And in the 80s, 90s, it was starting to become big. And then for whatever reason, because this is something I never really truly understood, it disappeared somehow. And then it came back, but through machine learning in a way, in the 2000, 2010. And I'm confident that actually you will hear more and more talking about OR because it's really a very fundamental and important science. It changed, but at the same time, I would say the fundamentals of OR didn't change that much. So you're still using models. You have different kinds of frameworks works, but it's still kind of the same. And what is also very interesting is that at the beginning, you didn't have much resources. I mean, they weren't big computers. And so people had to be really frugal and and they needed to pay attention to the resources that they could use with the computers. So they tried to solve problems with very few resources. It's still the case today. And this is very interesting, especially if you compare this with big data and machine learning, where you were basically using brute force and a lot of computing power. But this didn't change much. Yeah,
0: so basically you have a bunch of inputs that you are using to set as constraints. That's kind of how I'm imagining it being used. And But you'd think today that those constraints can be suppose, measured or generated much more effectively with the technology and the data that we have available today, but also that they can be more fluid than they would be in a a traditional operations research modeling exercise say 30-40 years ago. Is that fair to say? And is that kind of what you're using the combination of operations research and machine learning to do today?
1: So this is fair to say, but actually this is not only the real reason why you should combine both. Even today, most of the people that are doing OR operations research are still doing this by hand and are still using knowledge so they are not discovering constraints. Some teams do, and they have really great results, and it's very interesting. So you can also learn some constraints, but today it's still done by hand. So you have some kind of knowledge, and you transform that knowledge into a mathematical model, but it's done by hand. But true. One of the reasons you should combine both is that you can learn some constraints with the data, and you can adapt the model to those data and the insights from the data especially you can do this locally so this is very interesting but it's one way to combine both and it's not the main reason i would say the main reason to combine both is really that you can combine both approaches and you can with or model knowledge which is extremely important because this is some knowledge you already have you you don't need to find it back in the data first of all you don't know if it's in the data if it's really truly in the data and you don't know if it is in the data if you will be able to fetch it. So you have that knowledge and you can model this and then you can combine it with the data and the combination of both the insights from the data and the knowledge allows you to go further. This is the main idea, but actually if you want to go into more details, there are at least four ways to combine ML and OR. So we can go over it if you're interested, but the one you mentioned is one reason why you should combine both and why the combination of ML and OR will be better than just using
0: OR. Aha! So we should go into those four items, I think. And you've mentioned that the combination of machine learning and OR is the future of AI. That's your opinion, at least. So with those four items in mind, could you elaborate on why you believe that is the case specifically and maybe give us some real examples of how OR is used or the combination of OR and machine learning is used? and how you've achieved some of these uplifts that you mentioned. I think you said 20 to 40% sometimes that you can get an uplift on the more uh, traditional approach of mainly using existing knowledge.
1: Yes. So I will need your help because there are many, many questions here. So first of all, we did nine industrial projects. Among them, there were three that were deemed impossible in the sense that you had very good teams that tried to solve the problem and they couldn't. We have a hundred percent success until now we were really lucky. The reason is that we are combining ML and OR in specific ways that allow us to solve those problems. Maybe I can start about describing the four combinations. So there might be even more than four combinations, but at least there are four big ways to combine ML and OR. The first one is becoming mainstream today. So the first combination is to use them as black boxes. So most of the time, what you do is you get some data and you do some approximations, you get some predictions. And then once you have those predictions, you optimize on those predictions. I'm going to give you an example. Let's say you're a train company. You have trucks. You need to replace and repair them. How do you do this uh, for the least cost? You can do this in two steps. First step, you put cameras under your wagon. You let your train flow. You take pictures. You stitch those pictures together with ML, with deep learning, probably, and then you analyze those images, probably with deep learning, and you're able to say, okay, that track here needs to be repaired within six months, and you need a specialized team that has this and this and this knowledge and skills because it's that type of reparation that is needed. So you have a map of your tracks. Now the question is, how do you act? Because you know where you need to intervene, you know when, but maybe there is a track you need to replace, but the track next to it should be repaired, but maybe two years later. But because you already have a team that is over there, maybe it costs you less to do the repairation right away instead of waiting two years. And so this is what you can optimize with operations research. So that's the first combination where, basically, you use one and the other in two separate steps. Then there are two technical ways to combine them, which is simply using one to improve the other. So you can use OR to improve ML. I would argue that actually ML is using OR algorithms to optimize its predictions, but you can use better algorithms in OR from time to time. It depends on what you try to achieve. Sometimes it's worth trying to add more stronger algorithms. It depends, but it goes the other way around too, in the sense that OR is basically based on rules. And so if you can apply the rule, then it's really efficient. It's very difficult to do better. But most of the time, you don't know exactly what rule to apply or how to apply it. And then ML can help you. ML can tell you, oh, look, in that context, in that case, maybe you should use that rule and you should use it like this. So there is a combination where one helps the other. And then there's a fourth combination that is the most interesting one. And there are not so many teams working in that. It's Understanding the fundamentals of both. So really, truly understanding what are the advantages and disadvantages of both and how you can combine them. Because ML and OR are really complementary. There is one big example that is very known. It's the GNN. So the graph neural networks. Because graphs are actually coming from OR. And of course, neural networks are coming from ML. And so you combine those two fundamental ways of solving things and describing reality, But actually, it's barely scratching the surface in the sense that we can do way more combinations of ML and OR on the fundamental level. So that's about the four combinations. Yeah, sure. So I
0: think we've covered the four combinations. You also put in lots of examples there, which is what I was hoping you would do. And the last question was around how you say that this is the future of AI or
1: ML. And why do you believe that? For many reasons, but I would say the main reason are results. So we are able to do things with that combination of ML and OR and get some results that basically you cannot get with ML alone or OR alone. The optimization we reach is more efficient than just using ML or OR. We are also able to do things, for instance, I claim that that combination of ML OR, OR, the fourth one, in a certain way, could lead to true intelligence. And I don't see it happen only with ML or only with OR. There is also a new way of solving problems analytically with that combination, because as you mentioned, you can use ML to better to improve the model you have, the description you have of reality. And you can do this in real time. And actually, you can push the boundaries because with ML, when you learn, what you do is basically you have a model with parameters and hyperparameters. Here, we're not talking about learning those parameters, tweaking them. We're talking about learning in the sense that we're learning the representation. So we go one step further. And for this, you need both. You need the way to represent the world with those constraints from OR, and you need ML to be able to assess what constraints you need and, and how to use them.
0: Yeah, so that makes sense to me. And for those companies now looking to combine ML or OR in their work, what would be your advice or key considerations to sort of get started
1: with it? Well, combining both is not easy because you need to understand fundamentally ML, fundamentally OR, and then how to fundamentally combine both of them. So you need to know from the start that it's not easy. You need experts from both fields, and you need experts that are ready to talk to each other. So this is extremely difficult, because most of the time, experts believe that their field is the best. People in OR think that OR is way better than ML, and people in ML think that ML is way better than OR. And actually, they're both wonderful, but they also have flaws. And you need to combine them to get better results. So it's not easy to find people that are ready and open-minded to work on that. And also, because of the complexity, you're in for the long run. So you need to be prepared to work on projects for many months, if not years. So it really needs to be worth trying to do this. So if you have a a small problem you can solve with ML or, or or alone and it's good enough, perfectly fine. But there are some problems you cannot solve this way. And the other thing is that we understood better and better how to combine both and we figured out that when you want to make them talk to each other, I mean ML and OR, we are now doing ML differently than people doing ML and we are doing OR differently than people doing OR. So it's really becoming a field in itself.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that because you're really combining two different tools from your toolbox and you are, as you say, there are a couple of constraints in that in itself. Which is both areas in themselves are very complex and to learn enough to gain enough knowledge in each to be really, really effective uh, is an effort for an organization, but also an effort for the individuals within that organization to do that. And I imagine this is, it's only really appropriate to use this for typically for very large, very complex sort of often industrial problems. I imagine where it is worth investing many, many months or even years in, in solving a problem because it's so fundamental to the operations of the company. Like you say, an airline does need flight planning or and that's always going to be the case. A train company is always going to look at its tracks. It's always going to be the case. A mining company is always going to be optimizing its replacement of big trucks, et cetera, et cetera. Is that fair to say that it really needs to be sort of big scale for this to be relevant? Or are there
1: opportunities in the small as well? It really depends. I mean, it's a case by case opportunity. For sure, if you're a big company, then it's really worth it because the ROI, does, so the return on investment is huge, but really huge. I mean, we're making hundreds of millions of dollars to our customers. That said, two things. Maybe even if you're a small company or medium sized company, it's still worth trying because you can get some results that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. And the other thing is that I think it's going to be more and more present when people will start to do this more and more, and I even envision a way to do this automatically. So what we're doing now by hand, I think, can be automated. So if you look at ML, for instance, the way you work in ML is you have this problem in reality, you model it, but once you have a model, you just give it to your solver and the solver is doing all the work. With OR, this is not the case. With the combination of OR and ML, it's certainly not the case. So you need to open up the solver and you need to produce some sub-parts of the solver. But I believe that actually it's possible to find this for the combination of ML and OR later on when more and more people will have tried to do things and, and it really will become a new science and people start to have some experience with that. And then there is this automation that I think is also possible where you'll have the machine figure it out by itself, what it needs to do. But this is some kind of research, not for tomorrow, but I think that this is part of the future of AI. Once you will have machines that will be able to model themselves the reality, and especially will be able to model this locally, depending on your data and the context, and that whenever that is changing, they will also change the model.
0: Yeah, and a lot of the optimization problems that I hear about, so I'm in Australia, I hear a lot about these sort of things in, In mining, for instance, where they're trying to optimize the way that machines are replaced or used so for instance, truck routes. So you have these huge mining trucks that come and pick up a load of stuff from the mine, iron ore or coal or whatever it is. And they're trucks that are so giant that they're the size of, well, I don't know what it is, 10 elephants or something. And they're very, very energy inefficient or maybe they're energy efficient, but they're very big. So they use a lot of energy to fuel them. They're also expensive to maintain and replace. And then there is within that also the work itself that it's doing. So how do you optimize the number of trips it can do in a day to get as much stuff out of the mine and out to the ship or the treatment plant or whatever it goes from A to B. And this is something that I imagine is an example of something that's really in theory, perfect for operations research and this sort of thing. You talk about being an advocate for a prescriptive approach over a descriptive approach. Could you tell us about what that means in layman's terms and why you are so keen on prescriptive approaches, even for predictions?
1: Yes. So basically. You have different analytical approaches. Uh, Gartner is telling us that there are four approaches. There is even a fifth one, the cognitive one, that is in the making. But basically, we're talking about the predictive approach and the prescriptive approaches. I mean, those are the two main approaches. Predictive is the one that everybody knows about. So you, you, you have a problem, you have an input, you construct a system, and then you give that system your input, and it will return some output with... A certain probability but then for the prescriptive approach actually you're trying to take the context into account you're trying to optimize so actually you are more acting taking some decisions than predicting because once you have your predictions it's very nice to know that if this happens then probably this is going to be the output but basically the main question is What do you do with those predictions? How do you act? And this is where prescriptive analytics comes in, in the sense that you will use mathematics to decide, to take some decisions. So you are using the predictive approach within the prescriptive. So the prescriptive is really one step further. You take some decisions. And it's really important because basically this is exactly what people want. They want to know what to do. It's nice to predict that something is coming, but maybe you want to avoid it. How do you do that? Or maybe you want to know how you can react to minimize or maximize whatever. So the prescriptive approach is stronger. And the other thing is that the way we do prescriptive and we're not the only ones, it's a paradigm shift in the sense that what we do is we take everything into account. So our input is not only the input that you would use for the predictive system, we're also taking into account, for instance, the way a company operates. Because for us, it's very important that our solutions are really tailored for that company. So if you have a company like Toyota Asian, they need people need to obey, for instance. There is no way you're going to ask some people to take some decisions. The hierarchy is very strong. So we can take that as an input. You also can take the fact that maybe you only have six months to find a solution. This is one of our input. Your desired output is an input. And sometimes what happens also is that we are constructing a system with all those inputs that will tell us if the problem we try to solve can be solved. And what we need to do, to construct a system that would be able to solve that problem, so a kind of meta-optimization. This is something you do with the prescriptive approach. This is impossible with the predictive one. And to reply to your question, why do we prefer to use the prescriptive approach even for predictions? It's basically because you need the context. So if you look at the stock market, for instance, and you only look at the numbers, you're not able to predict much because if you don't take into the context what happens in the world, What happens in the world is a big deal. I mean, it has a lot of influence to what happens in the stock market. And so if you're only looking at the numbers from the past, it's not a good indication of what's going to happen next. So you need to have that knowledge. And that knowledge is really something you can grab within the prescriptive, I would say, analytical framework.
0: Yeah, and I imagine it goes a long way to do explainability of your outputs as well. And you can sort of break them down into fundamental building blocks or activities that you can give to humans to perform tasks that are in line with your optimization problem, but it's described in as a task that they have to perform at that level. So in my previous example of a truck driving output from a mine, they might want to save on fuel consumption. So they say, okay, When you go up this hill, you should be in second gear, not in third gear, because you're going to save 10... I'm just making up this example, of course. You're going to save 10% fuel every time you go up that hill, and you're going to go up that hill 50 times a day. So therefore, that's worth doing. But you have to tell the driver that that is the activity they have to do at that particular point, even though you've, I suppose, derived that output from your model. Is that kind of a, a reasonable example of something like that?
1: yes but i would say it's more complex because most of the time people that are working on the front line i would say like the drivers they know things so one thing is to tell them okay you should do this and this because the model can optimize globally i mean we're able to figure out how globally you could minimize the cost for instance and it's very difficult for a truck driver to see locally within his truck that actually what we ask him to do makes sense because globally It does make sense but locally it might not make sense but at the same time it's also very important to be able to understand how those people are working first of all they are the ones really working so maybe they have some habits and and you don't want to to disturb them too much but also they have some knowledge that is extremely valuable so that's one of the reason more to combine ml and or it's because with ml you're able to grab that knowledge if it's not explicitly available So I would say every time you need to to solve a problem, you need to to ask yourself, okay, what do I have as knowledge? What do I have as data? And how can I solve it? And it's every time a new challenge, I would say.
0: Yes, I imagine that. And as you say, these are very, very complex problems typically so it does require i imagine a lot of thinking and a lot of data collection of points that are not observed easily through just yeah sort of technology that sits there and observes things how do you go about collecting the right data set for these exercises in the first place and and discovering whether you are in fact missing certain inputs what's your process for that
1: Again, it's a case-per-case case basis. But what is really nice with the combination of ML and OR is that actually OR allows you to grab some existing knowledge, which means that if you don't have any data, it's okay. You still can start your project. And actually, I talked about the prescriptive approach where you take the context into account, which means that if you don't have data, this is part of your problem. You don't go like, oh, I don't have data, so come back when you have gathered the data. No, 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 no. You need to work without data or the data is really bad i mean we had the project where the data was really awful so we had cameras that were on top of sausages and with the damp the image were really blurry even worse from time to time the camera was stopping because of the heat so there was no way to tell them oh you, you need to use better or, or more robust cameras No, no no this is part of your problem these are the cameras you're going to use you're going to use them in that kind of setting and then the images are blurry okay so take that as an input So, yeah, I mean, I'm interested in how you collect
0: information that you don't have. And this is a great example, Nicola, of of where you you actually have, you have some data that's collected, but it's bad. So I'm interested in, I suppose now two arms to that question, which is how do you gather the right information if you don't have it? And how do you deal with the information that's bad? Because that's... I don't know if it's actually even worse than having no data to have really bad data that you then still want to use.
1: Well, again, it's a case-per-case problem. But sometimes you know that you need some data and you know you need to access them, but you don't have access to them or you don't have access to them now. I would say that's the easy case because then you know that it's part of the project and then what you do is you construct algorithms that actually can start without data, but that will get some more data. And so you switch from almost only OR to OR ML, and maybe only ML for some subparts. But then there are cases where actually you have no idea what kind of data you should grab. But I would say that those are extreme problems that are extremely difficult to solve, and there is a lot of thinking that needs to go behind this. And then you try things. And you see, but you you can construct some systems where you have lots of unknowns. This is something that can be done with OR, even unknowns that are completely unknown, so unknown unknowns, and you can do stuff. Of course, it's not going to be as easy. Probably the results you will get will not be as good as if you have very beautiful data, and you have a lot of them, but you can do things. But again, it's a case-per-case, problem and and you need to see what is available or not.
0: So in that example with the sausages and the bad camera technology, how did you get around that? What did you do? How did you use that as an input, even though it wasn't quite right for you?
1: So, well, as I told you, we can combine the knowledge with the inside of the data. So here, the knowledge was that actually people grabbing the sausages are human beings and that you don't have 20 person that will grab the sausages at once. So we started with that, because before the team that tried to solve the problem, they had a DL deep learning system that was monitoring each sausages individually in real time. But this was insane, because they didn't have access to the internet. So they needed to use a compact Jetson Nano, which is a big computer, but it's not as powerful as servers on the cloud. And so the DL system was way too big. So you see, we took that into account. Okay, you don't have internet and you have that small edge computer. Well, this is your input, don't go around. And so what we did was to use that knowledge. So basically, instead of monitoring the sausages that basically are not moving by themselves, it's only a human that will grab the sausage. So we said, okay, we don't need to monitor the sausages. We need to look at the hands and we need to look where there is movement. Once there is movement, probably there is a hand, if there is a hand, maybe that hand will take some sausages. So it's a perfect example of the combination of ML and OR because we use that knowledge that we can model mathematically with OR and we are not relying only on data. So other than an, an image of lots of hands grabbing lots
0: of sausages in my head right now, I'm Nicola, I'm imagining these constraints going into your system, but can you explain to us exactly then how you do that? That's what I'm interested in. How do you use this as an input? What is exactly the model doing with this input?
1: Well, I mean, it's it's pretty technical. I mean, because we are combining ML and OR. So I gave you an example with GNNs. So I don't know if you know about GNNs, but it's quite technical. So basically we're inventing new models and we're inventing models that are changing over time it's pretty technical. And of course, one part of this is our secret sauce, but I mean, we should take the time to take one precise problem and and look how we do this. But let's say that it's pretty technical. It involves a lot of math (laughs) and it, it involves a lot of tricks, of mathematical tricks. So we're doing things that actually don't make any sense because you cannot take those tricks and see what they do in reality, because there is no, there is nothing that corresponds in reality. So basically we're using lots of mathematical tricks. Uh So Nicola, you've described the
0: opportunity for us here, I think, but at the same time, you're also describing how this is not really mainstream or people are not seeing the same vision perhaps as you are. What in your opinion are the biggest challenges in integrating machine learning and OR? today both from a technical perspective but also this sort of general take up of the the idea or the discipline.
1: So one of the main difficulties is that it's not very known and so people are reluctant to try especially that it's not easy. There are some teams that are trying to combine AMNR and they fail. So it's really not easy to do. But I mean if you even don't know that it exists then of course you cannot try. So I would say one of the main difficulties is that it's not very known. It starts to be known since a few years and it's getting some tractions. At the same time, I would say the new kids on the block are probably causal theory and quantum computing. But I guess that soon you'll hear more and more about that hybridization of ML and OR, especially that the results are really good. So it should come. But that's one of the difficulties is that, Nobody here heard about it. And then the other thing is that it's extremely complex to do. So it's not like ML where you could assemble a team of people that did a bit of ML and they will get some results. You need to have some experts, real true experts that have years and years and years of practice. So it's not exactly the same way that you can assemble a team. So that's another difficulty. And then I would say the third difficulty is that because of the hype around ML, instead of combining ML and OR 50-50, I would say, and thinking that ML and OR are as important, people try to actually take some OR stuff away and replace it with ML. And I can tell you right away, this does not work. So because of the hype around ML, lots of teams, when they are trying to combine ML and OR, basically what they're trying to do is to look at OR stuff and say, okay, I'm going to take a subroutine there. I'm going to learn with ML and I'm going to replace the subroutine with ML. This is, I think, a big mistake because it does not work. ML is not robust enough to replace rules in that subroutine from OR. That's my take. Uh huh.
0: So you are saying that things are changing. So what are the trends that are Exciting you there? What are you seeing in terms of the uptake of
1: ML or? So yes, things are changing. I mean, you hear more and more about ML and OR. I mean, I do, of course, obviously, because I'm I'm in the middle of it. But I see more and more people and companies hearing about it and willing to try. The thing is also that since the beginning, the creation of the company. We would like people to know about this because you really truly can optimize by 20, 40%. So, And, and I'm talking about optimizing in production, in reality, because one of the reasons to combine ML and OR is in production. OR is really good to optimize, but most of the time you optimize in a mathematical world that is far from production. For instance, if you take the routes, you will model this and you will not take into account for instance that drivers can have a heart attack but this happens in reality so what happens when this is really happening if you have that beautiful or model that tell you okay that driver should go from a to b yeah but he's dying in production this is something that needs to be addressed and that's one of the reasons why you should combine ml and or because ml is able to detect things and to locally solve those kinds of problems so It will become bigger and bigger. And I don't know, the fact that it can solve and optimize by 20, 40% means also that it can depollute or reduce the pollution by 20, 40%. This is one of our big why. We're trying to tell the world that actually, if you combine ML and OR, especially in the polluting processes, you can optimize by 20, 40%, which means you can make a lot of money, but at the same time, you also can depollute by a lot. And I think this is something very important. And that combination of ML and OR and that kind of optimization, so those 20-40% in production, I think it's something we shouldn't overlook. It's probably something that needs to be used and done in our world.
0: Mm-hmm. So I imagine often here we're talking about sort of actually zooming out a bit and going Rather than solving lots of smaller problems individually, you're actually zooming out and looking at a large system or a large universe. So you're almost going, rather than optimizing for a small part of an assembly line, you're trying to look at the whole factory all at once and see how all the things combine and then create an optimization of of all those bits together you talk about an airline and so on is that fair to say that that's part of where the complexity comes from but it's also i imagine where the actual benefit comes from because you are looking at the full value chain and all the effects the ripple effects that one change has on another and so on
1: yes exactly this is industry 5.0 and since the beginning we are working in an industry 5.0 so What happens is that most of the time, when you look at the big picture, it's too complex. So either you have a model that takes that complexity, but you cannot solve it because it's too complex, or you have simpler models, but actually that don't embrace that complexity. And maybe you're going to cut your problem into sub-problems. And you can solve those models, but at the same time, they are not addressing the real problem. So with that new combination of ML and OR, you can actually see the whole picture, construct some kinds of models, and still be able to solve them. This is pretty new. We are able to solve things that actually you cannot solve in OR only, because the way people solve in OR, they have some classical ways to do this, and it doesn't work with a model that is too complex. So yes, you need to look at the big picture, and MLOR, that combination hybridization, allows you to do that. So Nicola, I'll test you here with my, or I'll test my
0: knowledge with you, I suppose, is what I'm saying, and to see whether my pennies finally dropped a bit here. So if I start with one of the phrases that we often hear is start small, start with a small experiment and learn and then add more complexity as you go. For instance, if you're doing machine learning, something you can grasp and something you can understand and build from, which is not bad advice in itself. But we never, we fail on the the very big ambition, which is we need to optimize for all of it all at once. And you never quite get to that because the complexity will will tie you out. If you start small and then try to grow up the value curve in a sense, you'll never get there. So... You have to kind of start with all the complexity in at once and try to solve that and kind of map it out. And in doing that, you need to really be able to use this interdisciplinary approach of machine learning and OR, which we now can combine because you have the compute power. You have uh, the technology to measure data very locally, but then pull it in. And do a big complex sort of universe of information and break that information down so this is what i'm starting to see these things come together now using the prescriptive approach rather than prediction to really understand those drivers your model drivers your features in your model to do this stuff and only by starting the with the big problem will you ever solve the big problem and this is where this combination is powerful and it is complex you cannot get around that But that's the whole idea is you actually lean into these complex problems because that is where the most opportunity is, is to solve this, right? We can't solve climate change without thinking about the whole system all at once. We can't just eat less meat or whatever it is, even though that we're trying to look for these quick solutions all the time. So I'm starting to think about this in my head like this. I know that was a bit of a, (laughs) it could seem like a bit of a mindless ramble, but hopefully there was some sense in that. Am I starting to get the right picture here?
1: Yes, but the advice to start small is still very relevant and and to be simple. I mean, if you find something simple and you start small, then you, you normally can understand what's happening, but at the same time, even if you start small, you need to think about in advance about the real problem. So we also start small, but we know that, well, first of all, we are solving problems after other teams. So we know that it's going to be very complex. But also, if you want, we are in some critical conditions in the sense that we know that the problem is huge from the start. We know that, for instance, maybe we need to do something in real time. So there is no way you're going to start with a small puck and try some ideas and say, okay, look, we can do something, then we just need some more power and then it would work. This is not how it works. We start simple, but we know that actually it's very complex. And we know from the beginning what our goals are. So it's like you said, precisely, but also with that idea of of always being simple, but having a global picture all the time since the beginning. Actually, we never do pox. I mean, our customers, they like to say pox, but we are more talking about an MVP because when we do it, it's not trying to solve the problem on a part of the instance. No, no, it's the real thing. So it's a huge instance. If we try to do some real-time work, It's not like, okay, we're going to do something that works quite fast, but no, no, no. The real problem is, can it work in real time? So we start small, but with that idea of the complexity of the problem right away, the scalability, explainability, robustness, whatever needs to be done. So it's a combination of both.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. Hi, dear listener. Just a quick message for me. Are you ready to take your data career to the next level? Then I've got just the thing for you, the Leaders of Analytics newsletter. Every week, I send you actionable tips to master the art and science of analytics leadership and to help you grow your career as a data professional. Every issue comes packed with information designed to help you grow your leadership and influencing skills in the world of analytics. No vague theories, just practical real-world strategies that you can start implementing right away. So head over to leadersofanalytics.com/newsletter to subscribe and start making a bigger impact tomorrow. Subscribe now, and your future self will thank you for it. Now, Nicola, we're almost at the end, so I've got a few questions to round off here. Firstly, people might be really interested in this topic, and this might be their first exposure to it. Where could they go and learn more about this? What resources would you recommend and how do you recommend getting started on learning more about ML, OR, AI, the combination of that?
1: Well, I would say start maybe first by learning a bit about OR in itself and then learning ML in itself. In both cases, this is quite easy, especially for ML, because there are plenty of information out there. OR, it's a little bit less, but there's still lots of blogs, vlogs, courses and things. Now, the combination of both, this is more tricky. So you have more and more articles. I would maybe say start with our website because there is a lot of information. I mean, our website is not very beautiful, but if you read what we write, we really try to explain the combination of ML and OR. So there's plenty of information. There are also some articles or podcasts where we talk about that combination. And maybe that's a starting point. And then, well, you always can talk to us. And then there are other teams also doing that combination. So if you find one, discuss with them and try to learn from them. But true, it's not easy to get some good information about that combination of ML and OR. Hopefully, we'll be able to construct some curriculum and some universities will start to teach that. It's not the case for the moment, but it's in the air in the sense that there are more and more universities that are trying to combine ML and OR. Most of the time, what they do is they teach them ML, they teach them OR, and then they say to the students, okay, now you're on your own. Try to combine that and good luck. But but it's in the air, so it's coming. Uh huh. So
0: for any listeners interested, you will find a link to Funatech's website in the show notes. So that's a good place to get started at least. And Nikolai, that's a challenge for you to put up new and fresh content on OR from now on until forever, because people will come and listen to this show and come back to this episode many times a day, and there might be some that go to your website because of that. Now, if there was one thing you would like listeners to take away from this conversation, what would it be, Nicolai?
1: So I think that my main drive is really to use that combination to optimize by 20, 40% and telling people, look, you can also de by 20, 40%, and this is huge because there are lots of industrial processes that were not optimized and that are polluting a lot. So I think this is really key. Something else that we didn't touch upon, but actually with that combination, you can control AI. So you, you hear lots of experts saying that you cannot control AI. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't agree. You cannot control ML, but if you combine ML with OR, with causal theory, other stuff, you actually can control AI. Of course, it's trade off, but I mean, I think this is an important knowledge to have. And I think this is the main message. And maybe if some are interested, I think that there is a new way of solving problems analytically that is coming and that will be very, very efficient, way more than what we can do now. I have no idea if it's coming in 10 years, six months. I don't believe in six months, but I don't know if it's going to happen in two years, 20 years, 50 years, And maybe I might be wrong, but I see, I envision really a new way of solving problems analytically. And then the last thing is, I believe that actually you can go to true intelligence with that combination, whether it's worth trying to do or not, I don't know, but you can go to true intelligence and still control it. I think it's a very important message to pass. Mm -hmm. So there are probably
0: another couple of episodes in those comments. (laughs) (laughs) A lot underneath uh, the last two ideas there. So we might save that for another time, but not, nonetheless, really interesting for listeners to posit and to explore further. Nikolai, lastly, to pay it forward uh, is something that I always ask the guests to do. So uh, who would you like to see as the next guest on Leaders of Analytics and why?
1: I would like to listen to Alex Antik. So, uh, Dr. Alex Antik, who is an expert. An expert in ML. I mean, he's someone that is really open minded, and I like his approach to ML very much, and also in general to how you can solve problems. So I would like really to listen to him and see what he will tell. Well,
0: you're in luck because he's already been on the show. I will find you there all the old episode and uh, send it to you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I knew that it might be the case and I and I told myself, okay, you should look at the list and I didn't, of course. Okay, so my suggestion was a good one. It was. Yes, I guess you will not invite him a second time. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Maybe I should.
0: <laughs> look, that's good. I will actually link to that episode in the show notes as well. So everyone, that particular episode comes with Nikolai's. Highest recommendation, as you can hear, even without having listened to it, he's already excited by it. And Nicolai, lastly, before we round off, how can people get in contact with you?
1: Oh, it's very simple. I mean, you can reach me on LinkedIn through our website. I'm easy to find. So don't hesitate, especially on LinkedIn. I mean, this is really the way I am contacted by people in general. Just go on LinkedIn, look for me, and then you can talk to me very, very easily. Yes, and that's
0: also how we got in contact and we had a conversation on LinkedIn and here we are today. So those links are in the show notes, everyone. So if you're interested in looking at Nikolai's content that he publishes and also to connect to him and maybe have a conversation, then don't be afraid to reach out. Nikolai Venoma, thank you so much for being on Leaders of Analytics today. I learned a lot and I have discovered now how little I know about this topic of machine learning and OA. And that's a whole new branch that I need to build, a whole new neural network in my brain that I need to develop. And thank you for sharing that knowledge with us today and the rest of the world. And all the best for you. Personally, in, within this discipline for the company Funitech and also for the discipline, it sounds like if you get this right, it's not just good for the discipline of OR, but it could actually be really helpful for our planet and our
1: society as a whole. I think so. So thank you very much for inviting me and listen to what I have to say.
0: Hi, dear listener. Just a quick note from me before you go. If you enjoyed this show, then please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes via your favorite podcast app. I have loads more great stuff coming your way. Also, I'd love some feedback from you on this show. So please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening and catch you soon.